Amen. You may be seated. Absolutely great worship. Thank you so much, worship team. That was awesome. I love the new song. We are going to see a victory in, in 2020. Welcome to the new decade. Here we are. And if you want to just look around for a second, you are seeing the first 100-ish people that have been a part of our church. We've finished one year. We're going into our second year here. And I think about all that God has already done. And it really excites me to think about what he's going to do in 2020. And it really, really excites me to think about what he's going to do 10 years from now. And the people in this room right now, the, the pioneers of this work of God, you may not feel like it at all times, but you are laying a foundation. You're doing something that's greater than yourself individually. And I just, I'm excited about that. I'm thankful that you have committed yourself to a church like this. I mean, we're a brand new startup church, and it's not a church where you can just hide when, when you want to and kind of float in and out. It's like people know if you're gone, and, and when you're here, you're probably going to be asked to serve. And so many of us in this room love Jesus. We're here to worship Christ. We're here to love others, to find family and community, and we are doing it together, shoulder to shoulder. And when you move mountains and you're on the ground floor, things aren't always easy. The enemy doesn't like that. The enemy doesn't want you to thrive in your relationship with God. He doesn't want you to grow. He doesn't want you to, um, to, to, to face, face off against fear and throw those shackles away and thrive and, sh and shed that. I know it doesn't always feel like we're winning and we're having a victory because the battle is slow, there's ups, there's downs, there's peaks and there's valleys. But the truth is, when we stay faithful, God shows up and God moves and he does a mighty work. And that's what we're seeing him do with our church. So thank you. I'm going to talk more about the vision of where we're headed, you know, a little recap of, of this last year tonight at 6 o'clock. You really don't want to miss tonight, believe me. We're going to worship more. We're going to spend some time and reflect on what God has done and pray. And it's, it's a business meeting, but it's more of a family meeting. It's, the business side of it is, is going to be swallowed up by worship. <laughs> and we're going to have a great time tonight from 6 to 7. So you don't want to miss that at all. And in this series, we're starting a new series, Swallowed by Mercy. And here's the thing, this story is not just a story, it's not just a neutered down Sunday school lesson, it's not just an expose on um, the probability of a man living inside of a fish, we're not talking about any of that. What we're going to see in this series is what is truth. We're going to find some truth, we're going to find some fixed realities that you can hold on to to navigate the storms and the high points in life. We're going to see that, we're going to see in this series that sometimes it's not just the storms that make us doubt God and run away. Sometimes it's even the, the high points, the good things, when everything's going, going great. There's shades of both elements in the story of Jonah. But when I think about what are some fixed realities of universal truth that you need to understand, you need to know, I came across a story this week. It's by a guy named Steve Callahan. So back in 1981, Steve Callahan, he's, he's on a sailboat, he's, in, he's at sea, and in the middle of the night, his boat gets hit, hole in the bottom of the boat, beyond repair. So he ended up being stranded at sea on a life raft for, I think, 61 days, if my memory serves me right. 61 days. He's lost most of his body weight, he's starving, he's ready to die, 
But in desperation, this man somehow took three pencils and he fashioned together what is called a sextant. It's a nautical device where he can get his bearings with, you know, the horizon and the sun. And based off of those three pencils, building that little rude, crude instrument, he figured out where he was on the globe, his latitudinal and longitudinal um, place on the, on the globe, and he waded over, he, he kind of sw- he pushed himself into the right current where he was able to drift into safety, dry land, and he was rescued. That was amazing. It's an awesome story. He wrote the book. It's great. You can read it. Uh, great story. But the way he found hope, the way he found it back to dry land, where he was rescued, was he saw these two fixed realities, the horizon and the sun, and he based what he had to do off of that. He found those things that were in existence that he, had, that he knew he could rely on. And today, we're going to see two fixed realities. We're going to see two universal truths that you have to see if you're going to get through the storms and the high points of life. You need these two fixed realities for both those areas of life. So take your Bible and turn to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. It is not an easy one to find. Some people call Jonah one of the Star Wars prophets because it's in that section of the Bible, the minor prophets where you have, you know, Micah and Leah and Habakkuk and Obi-Wan and, and Chewbacca, all these, all these names that we don't normally talk about. But here's Jonah in the midst of it. And a minor prophet isn't minor because it has a minor story. Not at all. We saw that when we did our series last June in Habakkuk, right? I mean, there's nothing minor in that series of, you know, answers in silence where we saw someone crying out to God and the story that was there. What we, why these are called the minor prophets is just because they're smaller. And because they're smaller, they're harder to find. So I know it's hard to find. I'm giving you some time right now to find Jonah. If you really can't find it, turn to your table of contents. It's okay. No one's going to judge you. And if you really don't want to do that, just find Matthew and just just keep turning backwards. You'll eventually run into this little small book called Jonah with a really, really big message. So backdrop, before we dive right into this, I want you to know a couple important things. First of all, Jonah is a pretty big deal in his day, okay? He is one of the spiritual leaders of Israel. I mean, he's right up there at the top of the chain. And we know that based off of what 2 Kings chapter 12 tells us. Okay, so he was a prophet. He, God spoke to him. He was supposed to deliver God's message to the people. He was a big deal. And the other thing that was going on in Jonah's time, there was a couple of contemporaries that he had, Amos and Obadiah. They actually prophesied that if Israel doesn't turn around, um, you're going to be judged by the Assyrians. So that was kind of in the back of everyone's mind. But the other thing that was happening at this time was King Jeroboam, even though he was a very wicked king, He was good with the economy, okay? And things were prosperous at this time of life. Everything was was going pretty well at this stage. They hadn't been, Israel hadn't been judged in that whole cycle of, of, of repeated failures that they had. They were in this good season where everything was coasting comfortably. And a lot of times when you're in that comfortable season of life, that's when you can drift away from God and forget and not want to do the hard thing that God asks you to do. But this is where we are introduced to Jonah right here in chapter 1, verse 1. So if you have found it by now, hopefully I gave you enough time to find it. Let's read the first two verses of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, 
go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So I'm going to stop right there, and we're going to talk about the city of Nineveh for one second. There's two adjectives that we have in the city of Nineveh, and some of you already know this story, but believe me, you don't know this story Well, maybe you do. Maybe you know this story amazingly. But I'm going to briefly review this stuff on Nineveh, okay? Nineveh was, first of all, a great city. And we know that it was a great city because later on in the book it talks about you have to, if you want to walk from one side of the city of Nineveh all the way to the other side of the city of Nineveh, it would take you three days. Big city. Really big city. And history tells us that the walls in the city of Nineveh were so wide that you could have three chariots race around the city walls of Nineveh. This was the capital of Assyria, and if you remember, I just talked about Assyria a second ago. Assyria was, was Israel's enemy at this time. This is modern-day Iraq, and these people were wicked. That's the other adjective that we have there. Not only was it a great city, the biggest city, this monstrous city that basically ruled the world at the time, but the people in that city were ruthless. And I'm not even going to spare you the, uh, the, the details of that. I don't want to go into it. I listened to a podcast called Hardcore History, and it goes into detail about the Assyrians. And these people were nasty. They would skin people alive. They would bury people alive with nothing but their necks sticking above the ground. And that's just the start of it, okay? It gets way worse. Brutal, brutal people who hated the children of Israel. And God says to Jonah, go to them, call out against them, and preach to these people. So before we start, go, before we start pointing fingers at how, um, at how terrible Jonah is for not obeying God here, we need to just put ourselves in his shoes for a second and stop and think, all right? Would you like to go into ISIS territory and call out against ISIS? That's pretty much the equivalent of what's going on right now. Not only that, but Jonah would have had family members down his family line who were personally killed by the Assyrians, So this is a personal thing that he has to deal with as well. This is a big ask. And here is the first universal truth. We know this wouldn't be easy, but the first fixed reality that you have to know, that we have to understand is, number one, point number one today, we all run in resistance. We all run in in resistance I only have two points today, and this is different than going through like Ephesians or 1 Corinthians. We're not in an epistle right now. We're in a narrative story, so you're going to have to stick with me here. Maybe you're thinking, David, why am I already in this story? You've just read two verses. (laughs) You've read two verses about Jonah, and now you're already talking about me? Well, yes, we're going to see here that this is talking about us. Not only did Jonah run in resistance, but we all run in resistance when we, we, we don't want to do, we have this tendency to not, not want to follow God's leadership in our life. And you, if you do realize you were in this story, you're going to get so much more out of it. The, the Jews to this day, on, on the Day of Atonement, they actually um, read the story of Jonah, and they all say in unison together, I am Jonah, okay? They know that this is meant for us to personalize it. And Jesus talks about Jonah as well. It's definitely a story where we need to put ourselves right into this story. As we get into it, it's not 
a story about a prophet who's swallowed by a whale, and it sounds a little bit like a fairy tale. This is a real man who knows the same God that you and I know, and there are truths here that we have to align our focus to. The first reality, we have a tendency to resist the leadership of God. We all run, and it's called sin. It's called sin. This isn't going to help you if you just pat yourself on the back, look at Jonah, and say, wow, what a racist guy. That's what a lot of people do. They read this story, and they almost feel better about themselves. What you need to realize is we all run in resistance. And this is the first sub-point that I want you to see from this. We have two points today. We have three sub-points in each one. So it's definitely a different outline than normal. But sometimes we run because we don't like the assignment. That's what happened to Jonah, and it's the same thing for us. God does ask us from time to time to do things that we don't want to do. I mean, he asks us to love the unlovely, just like he was asking Jonah to love the unlovely, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but not every mother-in-law out there is a, is a fun person to get along with and is a lovely person to love, right? Sometimes that's not easy. Not every person is easy to forgive. There are going to be people who wrong you and do, and do things that hurt you and harm you, but you are told to forgive because God has forgiven you. God tells us to go make disciples like he's doing here with Jonah to share the good news of what Jesus has done for you. That's not always a fun thing to do. That's not always an easy thing to do in your mind before you do it. And here's how Jonah responded. Verse three, this is what he did. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. When we resist the Lord, there's a stronger word for that. It's actually called rebellion. And that's where Jonah is at right now. When Jonah did this, a lot of times we'll look at Jonah and we'll see like, man, that's just not right. And how could he do that? And thankfully, I've never done anything like that myself. It doesn't help to grade yourself with a bell curve. We can't avoid this truth that we run as well. When we compare our relationship of God, with God to how we look compared with other people, we're not helping ourselves. You can always find someone else out there to make yourself feel better. You can always look at someone else who's having a harder time or who's not doing great. There's always those kind of people. But it doesn't matter because what we need to be processing is, am I doing what God has called me to do? That's the question you need to be asking yourself. Not what they're doing, but are there areas in my life where I'm running? Are there any specific areas in my life? I mean, am I obeying the Lord and sharing my faith? Am I giving my testimony of how Jesus came to this earth? He died on the cross for my sin when I didn't deserve it. I wasn't looking for him at all. And he shed his blood. He rose again. He made me new. You can share that story with other people. Are you trusting God with your finances? A lot of people run in this area. They get everything else, but this is the last one that they're holding on to is like, I don't want to give generously. Another one is serving, using your spiritual gifts in the church. It's so easy just to come to church to be blessed. It's so easy to come to church because I need help. I know I need help. I need this. God wants you not only to come worship and be blessed, but God wants you to be the church and to use the gifts that he's given you to serve. 
we do run in different ways. And God never calls you to do something that he won't give you the power and the ability to carry out. He just won't. We can't let the fear of the unknown stop us from doing what he's made known. God made known to Jonah what to do. God makes known to us what we need to do. And just because we don't understand how it's going to work out doesn't mean that we have to run away. We have to have faith that he will make a way. That is who our God is, and that's what he will do. The second sub-point that we see here is also in verse 3. And this is our second, our, second, our second universal truth. It's another reality here that fits into this one that we all run in resistance. When we run, we inevitably drift downward. And for all of the literature nerds that we have in our church, I just want you to know, uh, we could talk about this later, but the book of Jonah is amazingly grammatically rich. It's a masterpiece. And in English, verse 3 is a little clunky. But when you read it in the original, the Hebrew has their own humor, which, which is really an irony, and it's usually a play on words. And there is a play on the word down in this, in this verse. Okay, he goes down to Joppa. He paid the fare. He went down into the boat. Throughout this whole first chapter, the author is just continually pointing to this word down. And Tarshish is the exact opposite direction of Nineveh, where he's supposed to go, okay? So he's supposed to go east to Nineveh, and instead he goes west to Tarshish. And even though, you know, he's going the opposite direction, it's not really a lateral move because the Bible keeps talking about he's going down. So he's like, he's grammatically and literally he's going south, away from the presence of the Lord. And when you run away from the presence of the Lord, when we do that in our own lives, our life drifts downward. That's what happens. Now, now Jonah knows better, right? I mean, like I said earlier, he is one of the biggest spiritual leaders, most well-known pastors in the whole country, so to speak, pastors in the whole country. So he knows that he can't run away from the presence of the Lord. Like he knows God is everywhere. He knows God can see him. It's what he's doing here. He is running away from this cultivated presence of the Lord. He doesn't want to listen to God anymore. He's running, is what he's running away from really is the relationship with his God. That's what he's running from. He wants to stop listening and he wants to try to avoid doing the hard thing by getting busy with something else. Does that sound familiar to any of us? We all run in resistance too. And I mean, I've, I've seen, I see this all the time. Avoiding community. Uh, avoiding doing the hard thing. Avoiding doing what we know God has called us to do because it's uncomfortable. James 1.15 talks about the downward spiral of disobedience. This is what James 1.15 says. Then when desire, when it is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That's the path that Jonah is on. That's the path that we are on when we run away from the presence of the Lord. In Jonah, we are seeing a carefully crafted picture of the progression of sin. It starts with dis disobedience, and it goes on from there. We experience this. 
When we're honest with ourselves, we've all experienced this. One decision leads to a lie, which leads to a cover-up, which leads to another bad decision. And it doesn't, it doesn't ever go up, right? It just gets worse and worse and worse. That's what sin does to us. That is a fixed reality of life that none of us are immune to. Let's put ourselves right here in this story. When we run from God's plan, it's like getting stuck in a current. My family, uh, we were in Charleston this summer, and one of the days that we were out there at the beach, there was a really, really strong ocean current, okay? And Beckham is the one who loves to just jump in the ocean and, and just be in the ocean the whole time. It's great. Paxton likes to just hang back, sit down, and eat snacks the whole time uh, with mom. But this one day that the ocean current was super strong, we would go out there, and this tide just kept, like, pushing us further and further away. It was a major workout that day just to, like, pick up Beckham and walk him back. Before you, you would get out there, and for, like, 10 minutes, you'd just be in the waves, and then you'd look up and be like, wow, where's my tent? Where, I've never seen any of these people before. And then you look way down the coast, and there's, there's mom over there. Wow, how did we get here? Like, what are we doing here? I don't know any, like, what happens? That's what sin is like. It will take you way further than you ever want to go. And it happens before you even realize it. Adulterous relationships at, at 40 start with pornography addictions at 20. This is, what, this is what this is like, right? Eating disorders when you're in college start when you don't deal with jealousy in middle school. And when you're selfish and lonely and isolated at 60, it starts because you have been selfish and you haven't loved people when you were in your 30s. These are the results of sin. You have to realize that's how it works. And right here in this verse, there's also another truth that needs to be pointed out. And this is another one. There's always a boat sailing in the wrong direction. Okay? Think about it in this, in this sense. I mean, Jonah goes down to Joppa and, oh, wow, look, there's a, what an opportunity. There's a ship going to Tarshish. I just, this must be the right thing. I'll just jump on this. This, I mean, there's a ship here. There's always a ship going in the wrong direction. There's always a link that's there to gratify your lust. There's always something there to complain about, something going wrong that you can, that you can have a beef about. There's always a problem that you can jump onto. That's, that doesn't mean it's God's will. I mean, people can think, oh, yeah, I got to take a break for a little while from all the stuff that I'm doing in the church, or, oh, I got this new job offer. Look, there's always another door that you can open. It doesn't mean God is behind that door. Well, David, how do I know if, if God's behind that door or not? How do I know? Well, the answer is, are you following the presence of God? If you're following his will and you're seeking him, you're going to be able to discern the difference. But when you're running away from what God wants you to do because maybe he asked you to do something hard and you're not quite listening to him and you're avoiding his presence and your time with him and the word, that's when you're going to get tricked into going into these wrong doors and these getting on these wrong boats. Just because you have an open door doesn't mean you have to walk through it and hop on every last ship that comes by. You follow the presence of God, not run from the presence of God, and you have that relationship with him, and you seek counsel from other Christians who love Jesus, then you're able to steer away 
from the wrong ships and let them just pass in the night. Jonah ran, and we all have the same tendency to run when God calls us to do something that's scary that we don't want to do. But you know what happens when a child of God starts running away from God? Right here in verse 4 is where we basically transition into the next scene. And this is where we come into our our second point. But before I show you that, I want to show you another verse from Scripture that talks about what God does with his children when we run. Hebrews chapter 12. When we ignore our calling, we push God away, this is what God does. In your struggle against sin, have you not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood? And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. This passage goes on to say in verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Okay, look, God disciplines his children. I don't discipline the neighborhood kids. Even if they say something to my kids that they shouldn't have said. I don't, it's not my job to discipline the neighborhood kids, right? I discipline my own kids because I love them. And God disciplines us when we are his. And so in this scene, verse 4, the second universal truth that is a fixed reality for you and for me that we have to know is number two, God always pursues with mercy. And starting in verse 4, God is already pursuing Jonah with mercy. Doesn't take long for God to start pursuing. He's chasing after him. Verse 4, look at this. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Again, you're like, well, wait, I mean, a mighty storm? How, how is that merciful? How is this storm what he needed? For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. The storm wasn't here to punish Jonah. It was not here to punish Jonah. What was it for? For those of you who already know this story. What was the storm coming into the, into the picture for? It was to bring him back, to put him back on track. And when you face storms in your life, God is not paying you back. That's not what he's doing. How do I know that? How do I know that storms in your life, bad things that are happening in your life, is not God punishing you? Because Jesus already took your punishment. Okay? Jesus died on the cross he took the wrath of God upon himself. So he did that already. So that, so that means God is not punishing you. He can't punish you because he already punished Jesus for the same thing. So there's something else going on here. If you're going through a storm, you have to believe Jesus did this for me. Jesus was in the belly of the earth for three days. He was in the tempest of the wrath of God already for me. We don't want to get too far ahead here. But... When the vacation is over and the peaceful times are over and the storm for Jonah and the storm for us is in the midst, he's never paying you back. It's to bring you back. That's what it is. When we don't, we don't get what we deserve either. Jonah, 
did an awful thing. He's running from God, right? But he doesn't get what he deserves. And there's a word for that. What's that word? We actually talked about it last week. When you don't get, when God gives you something that you do not deserve, it's grace. When he withholds something from you that you actually do deserve, what's that one? Mercy. Mercy. Here we go. This is the mercy of God. Mercy is what we see from God throughout this entire story. The storm is not retribution. The storm is the start of restoration. The storm is the start of restoration. And this is our God. This is what he does. He sends storms to wake us up. That's the, that's the next sub-point in the, in the second point. God sends storms to wake us up. Now, sometimes when we're in a storm where bad things are happening, it's not just to wake us up. I mean, there, we do live in a sin-cursed world, and sometimes we're like the pagan mariners on the ship, and we're facing the elements of the storm that somebody else created, right? We're just innocent casualties, bystanders who are, are feeling the wrath. I mean, that stuff's going on all the time in the world that we live in. But if you're a child of God and you're running from God, he doesn't let you just run forever. He pursues you and he chases you down because he's a merciful, loving God. God sends storms to bring his people and to break his people from self-reliance. God sends storms to rescue his people from the downward spiral of disobedience. Many times, the only thing that can bring us back and course correct us is to literally just get wiped out, to lay flat on your back where you can finally have the right posture to look up and to see God. That's what it takes sometimes. It takes us being broken and to go through the storms. Look, look again at verse 4. <laughs> verse 4, it says, I love this one. The, the author is so humorous in my mind. So that the ship threatened to break up. I mean, we got an inanimate object ready to just call it a day here. I mean, I, I, this storm is awful. And, and in verse 5, to keep going, then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Okay. When you run from God, and let's say you're materialistic. There's another thing that happens here. Your sin affects other people. All these mariners were facing, and I alluded to this earlier too. These, these other guys on the ship were also facing the wrath of this storm. And in our lives, when we disobey God, when we run from God, and let's say you're materialistic, or let's say um, you're selfish, or let's say you show partiality, do you realize other people will be affected by that? You're material, materialistic, your kids will start being materialistic. You show partiality, you know what? There's going to be disharmony and disunity in your home. On down the list, our sin affects other people. And I could have made that sub-point D of our last point from the first, from the first universal truth that we all run, because it's right there. But your sin affects others. And here's what's happening right here in verse 6. We have an emphasis of the word down again. And we have another ironic element. The pagan mariners are starting to pray, okay? The dirty sailors are saying words that they haven't used in a really long time, words of prayer. They're, they're crying out to their gods. 
And people who don't know God in this, in this particular story right now are desperate for the true God. And here's the sad thing. The person who knows God is asleep on the bottom of the boat. Does that happen today? Do people who are far from God, who need to know the truth, are they, they're looking for answers? And you know what? Half the time, the people who know God, the people who have the truth, who should be saying something, are completely asleep. We're asleep when we're running from the presence of the Lord and we're not in a position to share the most important thing that we have to share. The most important thing you can give to someone is the truth of how to have a relationship with Jesus. And when we're asleep and running away from God, we are not in a position to share that truth. Verse 7, they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. What we all need to remember right here is sometimes to get you to see the problem, God will introduce pain. We already talked about how God sends the storm to wake us up, but this is another truth here. He doesn't just wake us up sometimes with a storm. Sometimes he will send pain. He will introduce pain to help you, not to hurt you. And this is what's happening. He's asleep, and by the mercy of God, he's awoken by the captain. The captain's like, how are you asleep? What are you doing, man? Get up and pray to your God. And so sometimes when you wake up and when you realize, wow, I'm running from God Oh my goodness, what am I doing? I can't outrun God. And God's mercy is chasing you and you realize that. What do you do? You have to look up and you have to be honest with God. And you have to confess it. Just admit it. Get it out there. Sometimes Christians have a hard time doing this. And I think the reason they do is because the enemy kind of tricks us in this. Oh, well, if you admit this, if you, if you reveal this, it's going to hurt other people. If you're honest about this, it's just going to be a poor testimony for Christ, so you need to keep it hidden. No. That always does more damage over time. Always, always, always. The lost know you have problems. Everybody has problems. We all know this. Hiding sin creates shame. Revealing sin brings healing. Okay, so Jonah has a choice right now. Am I going to keep lying about who I am? Am I going to keep running right now? Or am I going to open up and admit it? And thankfully, that's what he did. He tells him, I'm a Hebrew. I know the true God, the God who created the dry land, the God who created the sea. Let's keep going here. Um, verse 11. Verse 11. 
Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, at, they're in desperation right here. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, give credit to these guys, okay? Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. They're like, God, we... This God that we don't really know yet, who's clearly real, who's sending this massive storm. We don't want to kill this guy. We're trying to row hard. God, we did everything we could. Please don't kill us as we throw him overboard. That's, what's, that's what they're saying. Verse 16. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. All right, so right here, I've heard a couple different positions on this. I've heard people say, when, when Jonah does this, this is just the epitome of rebellion. He's such a worthless prophet. I mean, he knows better. He hates the Ninevites so much, he still doesn't want to repent. And he says, just hurl me overboard because I'm not going to do it, God. Just kill me. He'd rather die. I've heard that position. I've also heard people take the position that Jonah right here is breaking. He is surrendering. He's like, God, I, I believe you. I'm ready to do this. Just hurl me overboard. He doesn't understand the mechanics of how he's going to get there to Nineveh, but he knows the first step is just to be thrown overboard. I don't really know the answer to that because if you read the whole book, you can make a case for both. And you know what? Here's the truth. Like, we're not in a position to understand the hypothetical motives of these Bible characters all the time. If the Bible doesn't make it crystal clear, it probably means it's not that important. It's not important enough to know. So you can talk about it later on, but don't debate it in life group, okay? Because that's not what life group is for. <laughs> we're, we're not going to be that church that debates these hypotheticals. We're just going to say, what's the main point? If, if God wanted us to know exactly what Jonah was thinking right now, he would have made it more clear. He doesn't. But what God is saying is that God is merciful. He's showing how merciful he is. That's the point of the text. Jonah is being swallowed by mercy right now. We can't miss that. He's running. God is chasing. And now the storm stops. Verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. There we got it. Immediately, another vessel of God's mercy right there. First it was the storm. Now it's the great fish. God swallows him up with mercy. This is where we're going to end it today in verse 17. Uh, worship team, you can come on up. We've got a few more things to talk about, though, as we, as we wrap this up. It seems like he's ready to die because the sailors know he's going to probably die. I mean, Jonah isn't really in a position where he can fashion a sextant out of three pencils and, and survive this. He's expecting fully to die. He deserved to die, but in God's mercy, God withheld what Jonah deserved. 
And this is also where, you know, critics will look at this story and be like, oh, what a ridiculous story. A man swallowed up by a fish. This is not a story about a magical fish, okay? It's a story about a merciful God. And the truth is, this isn't even one of the top 20 most hard-to-believe things in the Bible. When you believe that the Bible is God's word and you start reading the Bible and you see that God spoke creation into existence, well, that's pretty hard to believe. That's pretty wild, right? Jesus was born of a virgin, also pretty hard to believe. Jesus is going to come again one day. Well, Jesus died. He rose again. He's coming again one day on a white horse in a white robe dipped in blood with a tattoo on his thigh that says, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. That's pretty hard to believe. But when we know God and we have faith, it's not that hard to believe because we see how he's changed us. And you see, we see how he's changed those around us who know Jesus. We see how he changes the world. So let's move on from the fact of what happened and think about what really happened here. God showed mercy. That's the same thing our God does for you and for me. The storms of life like to throw us overboard and God swallows us up in mercy. This is where we see Jesus, okay? This is the last sub point right here. Jesus took your punishment so we could find restoration. You have to see Jesus in this story. It'd be a waste of our time. I would be an Old Testament Jewish preacher if I didn't bring up Jesus in this story right here, okay? Matthew 12, Jesus talks about Jonah. Jonah is a real man. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus took the story of what happened here in the Old Testament, and he said, that was a shadow of my resurrection. This was a picture to point to you of, of what I'm going to do. The Son of Man died and rose again. The whale is a vessel. It's an instrument of the mercy of God in Jonah's life. It's also a picture of the mercy that we find in salvation. Can I get an amen for that? That's for us. Jesus was thrown into the storm of God's wrath for your sin. He was dead inside the belly of the earth for three days. We think that the whale is an unlikely vessel of God's mercy. The cross, a torture instrument, that was an unli unlikely vessel, an instrument of God's grace, was it not? The grave that Jesus was buried in, that was an unlikely instrument of freedom that God used. We have to remember these two fixed realities as we start this series. We're going to begin this series for three more weeks, going through the whole story of Jonah. The fixed realities are we all run when we disobey God, when we're afraid to do what he's asked us to do, when we resist hard things. But in response, the second fixed reality, the ultimate truth that we all have to cling to is our merciful God chases us. He runs after us. He comes after us and he pursues us in mercy. And the awesome thing is when you look at Jonah and you look at Jesus, Jesus did everything that Jonah didn't do. Right? Jonah has this self-preservation, self-protection. I, I, I can't do that. What did Jesus do? 
self-sacrifice. Jonah ran from the problem. Jesus ran to the problem. Jonah ran from the unlovely. Jesus runs to the unlovely, which is us, before he changes us. And he turns us into people who start loving. God wants to have mercy on Nineveh in this story. And in your life, God wants to have mercy on you. So stop running and allow yourself to be swallowed up by our loving, gracious, long-suffering, merciful God who is ready to have mercy on you. We're going to close our service with a song of worship. Let's sing these words directly to our Father of mercy.